0: Good morning, Foothills Church. My name is Darren Fennell, and I am one of the elders here at the church. And uh, I want to welcome you to our Sunday morning service. And uh, this is great. We have a good turnout. I know that we have a lot of the ladies that um, are off on uh, women's retreat. And uh, I'm also very excited that uh, our pastor, Pastor Roger, and his wife Michelle are able to get over to Italy for a little bit of a break. If you've ever been to Italy, they do a lot of uh, sipping cappuccinos and eating croissants out in front of cafes. And uh, I hope they're getting to do that uh, a lot. Uh, we really appreciate uh, Pastor Roger and his uh, commitment to this church. And um, I, I just wanted to mention uh, while he's away, Uh, this is a good time to, and by the way, he didn't uh, pay me to say this or anything, but uh, we do have a faithful uh, pastor who loves God, who loves God's word, and loves this church. And uh, the scripture says that that we ought to uh, respect and support our leaders in a way that that makes serving this church uh, not a burden, but a joy. And there's a lot of ways that we can do that by uh, praying for him and uh, looking to support him uh, uh, however we can. So just as an, uh, as an encouragement while he's away, just a reminder, let's, let's look for ways to uh, support our pastor, encourage him as, as much as possible when he is um, back so that the scripture says, hey, that's going to be good for you. If he serves in joy, it's going to be good for you. So uh, just an encouragement, not a rebuke. This church does that really well. Uh, but just an encouragement for us to uh, remember to do that. Well, this morning we're going to be in the book of uh, Philippians. So if you have your Bible, uh, go ahead and open to Philippians uh, chapter 3. Uh, there are quite a few verses that we're going to be going through uh, this morning. So it would be good if, if you were able to um, uh, follow along with us through that passage. And I want to start off with a couple of questions for you. I want to ask you, how often do you think about uh, the course of your life and what's going to happen at the end? You know, sometimes we get so busy with uh, life and and the the mundane that we we kind of get caught up in that and we forget to think about where we're headed. What's at the end of this road? Do we take that seriously and do we have a a clear picture of, of what that looks like? Well, the Bible has a lot to say about what the end of our lives uh, ought to look like as Christians, Um, but it also has a lot to say about how we should live on the way there. And sometimes uh, we can get off track, and sometimes we may not... Uh, press into uh, what God has called us to as, as much as we ought to. So this morning, uh, we just want to reflect. We want to think ahead. What has God promised us in the future, and uh, what has he called us to do in order to drive at that future? So I counted a great privilege to have the parents that I have, uh, sweet people cared for myself, my brother, and my sister very, very well growing up. One of the things that uh, my dad used to do is he would take us backpacking, um, and that was one thing that really instilled in me uh, a love for the outdoors, and it's something that I uh, bring to today. I I love the outdoors, and uh, those times that my father brought us on those trips uh, really laid the foundation for that. Well, a couple of years ago, I had a friend of mine and myself, we wanted to uh, take this hike up to Half Dome in Yosemite. And up in Yosemite, if you're familiar with uh, Half Dome, it is an incredible part of God's creation. Uh, but it's also very difficult to get uh, to the top. Well, he and I decided we were going to go uh, hike Half Dome We drove up to Yosemite. He was actually recovering from a knee injury. But he thought he'll be fine. You know, he's going to push through it. Well, we camp out. We we wake up the morning of the hike, and he's like, my knee's no good. I'm like, what do you mean your knee is no good? We're about to hike Half Dome. And so I had to make a decision. Am I going to go alone? Or am I going to cancel this trip? So I went alone. And uh, on that journey, along the way, uh, I was pretty fortunate. I was able to connect with a number of people who were hiking as well. There was a, a group of 10 that were hiking as well. But along the way, there was a point where we actually lost the trail. We weren't sure where to go. And there was 10 of us, and we could not figure out where the trail was. There's a, there's a certain area where uh, it gets a little unclear. Well, we took some time. We all spread out. Eventually, we found the path, and we got back on it, Um, but uh, that was a time where we had to scramble a little bit to, to find our way, so as we continue, we get to the back couple miles of the journey up to the top of Half Dome, and it feels like you are climbing straight Up a wall for a couple of miles. It is very difficult. I wanted to give up multiple times. I continued and eventually made it to the top of Half Dome. And as I looked out over the Yosemite Valley, it was more breathtaking and more spectacular than I was even expecting. So, all of that difficulty along the way uh, got us to, or got me, to the top of Half Dome where I was able to look out and reflect. And you can just see the picture of the, the beauty of Half Dome. Um, And I tell that story just because it is a good picture of our Christian lives. Our Christian lives uh, often reflect this idea, this parallel of a journey, of of, uh, being on a path toward some sort of end and some sort of destination. But you know what? Life is often very hard. And sometimes in life we get off track and we don't know exactly where we're headed or what's up or what's down. We can get a little confused. And sometimes we don't know what the end's going to be like. Is it, is it, what's the point of all this? Is there anything at the end of this that's, that's really worth striving toward or not? And our Christian life follows that and parallels that. And the scripture has a lot to say about how we can draw encouragement as we go through our Christian life. So let me go ahead and uh, we'll read from Philippians chapter 3. Verses 7 through 14, and this is the Apostle Paul talking to the uh, church at, the, at Philippi, whom he loved, and uh, we're just going to jump in at verse 7 and say, uh, see where Paul says, "'But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord.' that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider that I have made it my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let's pray together. God, thank you for your word. Thank you that it is a uh, guiding light to our path. Thank you that you have revealed yourself to us. You are a personal God. Uh, You are uh, an incredible God, and you've made yourself known to us. Thank you that through the pages of Scripture, we get insight into how we ought to live our lives in a way that ultimately honor you. Lord, you are sovereign, and we pray that you would help us see the way that you would have us go, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so why this passage? Why are we doing this? Why why are we looking at these verses, and how are they going to be helpful? Well, I've got a uh, a few reasons uh, to share. So number one, we need a reminder of the purpose and the goal of the Christian life. Again, as I mentioned before, sometimes we we are on this journey, but sometimes life distracts us. We don't know what's uh, really important, what we ought to prioritize. And so we need to sort of recalibrate our thinking about how we live this life before God. Similarly, sometimes life can get so mundane and messy. There's just things going on that are challenging and problems to solve that we're not sure how to solve them, or, or we're just bored Things are uh, mundane in life, and we're just thinking, is there any purpose to this? Again, we need to recalibrate our understanding of, of what God has for us. And then number three, we need a joyful longing for the prize at the end. What is at the end? What is waiting for us? Is it worth it? Is it worth the struggle? Is it worth persevering? What's the end, and do we have a, a tangible sense of what that prize is, and are we longing for it? So, this might be a problem this morning, actually. So, thank you, Debbie. All right. So, we're going to look at, this is going to be our main point. Our main point is that God has called us to a path that leads to two things, being like Jesus fully and being with Jesus forever. And if those things don't excite you or they're, they're, they're not intriguing to you, I hope that at the end of this message uh, they, they will be. And in order to thrive on that path, we must be captured by a compelling vision, fight against comfort and contentment, focus on one thing, and press on to the prize with passion. So let's take a look at our First point, and our first point is that we ought to be captured by a compelling vision. Now, it's critical for those who would achieve great things in this life to have a clear and compelling vision that pulls them. Now, I'm going to reference uh, maybe not the most spiritual uh, example here, um, but a man who has really uh, spent a lot of time uh, pursuing Uh, different visions in his life is this guy, Arnold Schwarzenegger, right? The interesting thing about Arnold is that he has really been at the peak of, like, three different uh, significant areas of life. He was a bodybuilder, he was a movie star, and he was a politician. But, you know, he says that in order to achieve those things in his life, he had to have a crystal clear vision of what he was aiming for. And when he had that crystal clear vision of that of what he was aiming for, he strove after it with all of his heart. And uh, you can see the, uh, the success that, that he achieved in those, those different areas um, of his life. Now, we as Christians must also be pulled by a powerful vision. It's not enough to just you know, grind through life, we need to be pulled. There is grinding, there is pushing, there is working through this Christian life. But there also must be a pull. What is pulling us? What has our heart? We must be captured by a compelling vision. Well, we're going to go back into the early part of chapter 3, and we're going to look at a vision that disappoints. So Paul originally had a vision, and he was disappointed by this vision. And we'll go ahead and read starting in verse 1. Let's look at verses 1 and 2. Paul says, finally, My brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me, and it is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. Now, when Paul says look out for the dogs, he's talking about a particular people during the first century uh, that were a pain to the the church and to what he was doing in his ministry. These were called the Judaizers. And they were uh, Jewish individuals who were trying to tell the church at Philippi that they had to keep the Old Testament law in order to be right with God. And Paul is saying, no, no, no. Jesus did that. They do not have to maintain these requirements of the Old Testament law. uh, And he calls them dogs because of what they were doing. Now, dogs is what uh, Jewish people will call Gentiles, because they were outside of the family of God. Uh, He turns it around back on them, and he says, no, the Judaizers, they're dogs for trying to impose this unnecessary requirement on you, uh, the church at Philippi. Paul was mad. He was mad that they were undermining the gospel of the Lord Jesus, and he was mad that they were undermining uh, his ministry. So in verse 3, we read that he says, For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Christians are individuals who put no confidence in the flesh. And we're going to talk a little bit more about what that means. But he's saying, Christian, don't look to yourself. If you're talking about right standing with God, it's not in you. It's outside of you. These Judaizers are trying to get you to look inside and try to achieve this on your own. Do not do that. And then in verses 4 through 6, Paul goes in and he starts to list his stellar Jewish credentials. So he says, Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh, also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Paul says, look, my resume is stellar. As a Jewish individual, he was head and shoulders above the Judaizers. He had his doctorate. They were taking introductory courses." He had done it all. We don't have time to go through what each of these little phrases mean. There's a lot there. But essentially, Paul is like, I did it. If anybody has a right to boast in the flesh, it's me. That was Paul's understanding of his resume. And yet he refused to appeal to what he had done, to his religious achievements. He refused it. And you'll notice in this little chart, basically, Paul was saying previously that everything that he had boasted in, he put in his gain column. This is a, an accounting uh, sense where the assets are on the left, the liabilities are on the right, and Paul's just saying, I was all asset, no liabilities. And he was. Nobody matched up to the apostle Paul. This is how he lived his life prior to meeting Christ, and yet it was a vision that disappointed him. I just want to say that this is our natural tendency. This is what we as humans tend to do. We tend to look to ourselves and say, you know, when it comes to our performance or our right standing before God, we tend to look at ourselves and say, I can do this on my own. I've done enough. I have performed enough to where God would accept me. That is a deadly view of your relationship with God. That needs to be killed because it still lives in even those of us who know better. And yet, Paul attacks the Judaizers and tells them this is not how it should be, and he tells the Philippians there's a better way. And so now he moves on to a vision that compels. So verses 7 through 9, he says, But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. The Apostle Paul took all of his previous achievements and put them in the loss column. And instead, the only thing that he held on to was Christ in the gain column. Amen. Jesus, Jesus fulfilled the law for us. And the Apostle Paul said, everything that I had before I count as loss for the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus. And this cannot be overstated. This is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. If there is a sense in which you have not quite understood that what we do or, or what we seek to achieve in this life cannot merit favor with God, you need to rethink this because Paul took everything that he had, he threw it in the trash. He said, I read rubbish. It can also be translated as dung. Verse 8, he said, I counted all, everything that I previously counted gain, I counted as dung. That's his view of his own efforts. Why? Because Jesus had done it all. Jesus paid it all. And he made that glorious exchange of his own uh, reputation and achievements for the reputation and achievements of Jesus. Now, in verse 9, we have a very, very significant verse uh, that, that teaches us what this idea of justification by faith is. And in verse 9, it says, I want to be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. Do you know what God requires of you and of every human being on the face of this earth? Perfection. Absolute perfection. God is holy and His demands are holy. And so to be righteous is to perfectly conform to God's holy standard and character. The Bible tells us that without this righteousness, we won't inherit the kingdom of God. We won't see the face of God. We must have this perfect righteousness if we're going to uh, be pleasing to God. And the Apostle Paul learned that that righteousness is not merited by his own efforts and achievements. It's a gift. It was achieved by Jesus, and we receive it with the open hands of faith. That's it. This this is a, Christianity is a humble, childlike, dependent faith. We come to God with nothing in our hands. And we look to him to supply everything that we need. That righteousness that we need is in the Lord Jesus. That's why Paul is so excited about this. He's saying, oh, everything that I was planning on before is nothing. And when he met the Lord Jesus on the road to Damascus, he was knocked off his horse and his life was transformed because he came to know the true riches that God provides for us. Now, in verses 10 through 11, he, he goes on to say that uh, he wants to press into that. And so we have a roadmap for the vision. And in verses 10 through 11, he says, "...that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead." So what is this? This is kind of interesting because now he's talking about pressing into this thing. He wants to know Jesus. He wants to know the power of his resurrection. He wants to share in his sufferings. He wants to become like him. Well, what is that? Isn't that just works? Isn't Paul just going back and saying, now I want to go back to what I was doing before and and achieve God's uh, pleasure by works? Absolutely not. He's clearly established in verse 9 that Righteousness from God is through faith, yet it transformed him. He was compelled to press into it. He was compelled to press into that which Jesus had captured him for. And that is, as we mentioned before, that we would be like Jesus fully and with Jesus forever. Paul caught that. That was his vision pressed into it. He leaned into it, and he said, I want that. I'm striving after that. And so he has been saved. He has received the righteousness of God through faith in Christ, and now he's going after the prize. And that's where we need to be. We need to have that vision. We need to understand that distinction, that this righteousness from God that we must have in order to see God face to face does not come from our own achievements. It cannot. The Bible says that our achievements, as good as they might be, are like filthy rags to a holy God. Now, that sounds harsh, but He's a holy God. In Him, there is no darkness. That's the God we're talking about. And if we fall at one point in this law, the obedience to God, picture it like a plane of glass. One point, you break that point, the whole thing shatters. And that's where we find ourselves outside of Christ. The law of God broken. And yet he invites us to, by faith, receive this free gift of righteousness. It's incredible. It is incredible. This is what all of human history and redemptive history turns on, is this truth, this reality. And we need to uh, set our minds on this so that we too see it for the the beauty that it is. You know, in Romans 8.29 We're told that those whom God foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son. That's what the path is. He is driving us to be conformed to the image of His Son. And who is Jesus? He is beautiful. He is wise. He is sinless. He is perfect. He is compassionate. He understands obedience. God is conforming us to his image, and he will do it if we, if we pursue this vision that we're talking about. You know, it's similar to the parable that Jesus mentioned, the pearl of great price in Matthew 13, 45 through 46, where Jesus compares the kingdom of heaven to a merchant in, in search of fine pearls. And he says again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who, on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. It's like you spend all your life find, looking for a super valuable pearl, and you have you have one here, one there. You know, throughout your life, you you, you find a few here and there. You've accumulated some wealth, and then you find this one pearl. And it far surpasses the value of anything that you have. But if you sell everything you have, you can buy it. That's what Paul did. He sold everything he had. He said everything behind was lost. And he didn't buy righteousness. Jesus did that. But the point of the parable is the comparison of the value. Everything previous is nothing and as dung compared to the greatness of knowing Jesus. So I just want to ask us, are we compelled by this vision? Are you compelled by this vision? Have you been transformed by it? Have you spent time wrestling with God and seeking the beauty of, of this free gift of righteousness that God offers to us in Jesus? Is Jesus a treasure to you? Sometimes as as Christians, he is a treasure, but we struggle. Maybe we're just not feeling it as much. Or maybe you've never come to Christ and you've never understood this great exchange. Maybe you've never seen Jesus as a treasure. Well, he is. And I would just urge us, if you haven't ever come to Christ, that you would, that you would humble yourself and look not to your own efforts, but look to this free gift of God in Christ Jesus. And if you are a believer and you have done this, press into it like like Paul does. So in order to get on the path of the prize, we must be captured by a compelling vision. Number two, in order to stay on the path to the prize, we must fight against comfort and an unhealthy contentment. A man named John D. Rockefeller, I'm sure you have heard of him, was at one point the richest man in the world, in the late 1800s, was once asked, how much money is enough? Do you know, you know what his answer was? Just a little more, yeah. John Rockefeller, John D. Rockefeller, was not content with being the richest man on the face of the planet. And see, ambition, ambitious people are never fully satisfied in fact, their, their success makes them hungry for more. There is a momentum that is built. And the drive to achieve more just continues to build. And in a lot of ways, that is very good. That is why we, we see our civilization progress and we see so much. And so this ambition can be an incredible thing. It can be a, a God-given gift. But I want to ask if we feel that way about our spiritual lives. Are we ambitious to to grow into this this call that God has for us? Are we ambitious about pressing into this prize that God has set before us? So let's look at verse 12, and let's realize that uh, none of us have arrived. In verse 12, he says, It's not that I've already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on, to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. So Paul knew that he had not obtained full spiritual maturity, and he was not yet perfect. And he knew that conformity was a long way off. And in the second half of verse 12, it says that nevertheless, he pressed on and fought against comfort and contentment. So the Apostle Paul pursued Christ's likeness with the enthusiasm and persistence of a runner in the Greek games. This is probably what Paul had in mind as he talks about this idea of pressing on and, and straining forward. It's this idea of the, the, the games, the, the races that, that, uh, uh, that were common in, in his day, and we obviously see it in the Olympics uh, today and, and otherwise. But this was on his mind, this idea of pressing forward and, and pressing into what God had call, called him to in Christ. Now, we may say to ourselves, yeah, I realize that I haven't been made perfect. And sometimes we look at our Christian lives and it's like, yeah, that's obvious. I haven't, I haven't obtained it. But the, the point is that Paul was advanced As a disciple and a devoted disciple and even he looked at his life and said I haven't I haven't made it so we look at this guy who is way ahead of everybody else in his day in terms of conformity to the likeness of Jesus and he's like nope I'm not even there yet I got a long ways to go more to do pressing into it and so that's a challenge for us are we coasting do we feel like I'm doing okay life's not too bad um, I go to a Bible study, I, uh, I know a couple of verses, and I'm content with that. Or is there something more that we could be pressing into? Could we press into that which God has called us to? I think if the Apostle Paul could, we all could. And so the question is, is there a limit to how much we can grow in these areas? You know, Galatians 5, 22, and 23 gives us a list of some areas that that we can grow. But let's just think about this. As you think about your own life, could you grow deeper in holiness? Could you grow deeper in humility? Could you grow deeper in your knowledge of Christ and the scriptures? Could you grow deeper in how you invest in other people? and your efforts at making disciples? I know I could. I think if we're all honest, we all can. And Galatians 5, and 23 talks about the fruit of the Spirit. Are there areas here that you could press into and grow more deeply in as you run this race with Paul and with, with others? I think the answer is, is definitely yes. I remember... Um, Justin Wirth had mentioned at a a, a men's uh, study, probably close to two years ago, it was our men's retreat. And just in one of his messages, he talked about memorizing scripture. And I just took that and I ran with it. And I have been seeking to memorize scripture every day since then. And that was two years ago. It was one little area where I was thinking, that's something I could do more And it's fun. I enjoy it. I have a little app and I go through and I memorize verses and there's little games you can play on it. I love it. So, Justin, thank you. But that's just one example of pressing into this a little bit more. But looking at the end of verse 12, there's an interesting note here where Paul says, Because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Jesus has made us his own. Those of us who follow Christ, he has made us his own. He started the work in us so that we would press into conformity. Now, sometimes when I talk about what this, you know, this, the effort, the effort that we ought to put into our uh, Christian walk, sometimes it can feel like, you know, you're just cracking the whip, you know, or you're trying to get a, a stubborn horse to, to move, or it's, oh, it's just one other thing I have to do, or these are just more, more things that I got to add to my to-do list. Well, this verse reminds us that, look, Jesus is the one who called you into this. Jesus, in in Hebrews 12, 2, Jesus is the one who is the author and perfecter of our faith. He started it in us. This is is of his grace. This is not, Christianity is not a works-based religion or faith. Yes, we must put in effort, but Jesus started it in you. And then in Philippians 1.6, it says, He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. So yeah, we are to press into this. We are to put in effort to grow in our uh, conformity to the likeness of Jesus. But guess what? Jesus started the faith in us. He's the one who's going to bring it to completion. And that's something we can rejoice in. We're not on our own. This is a, this is a faith that is dependent on the grace of God in order to get to where He is calling us to be. So Jesus started the work in us. He's going to complete it. Therefore, press on. All right, point three. Now, in order to advance on the path to the prize, we must focus on one thing. Have you ever heard of grocery store amnesia? No? Okay. Okay. Grocery store amnesia is where you go to the grocery store and you buy everything except for the thing you meant to buy when you went there, okay? So you come back with three of ice cream, but you forgot the eggs, okay? Grocery store amnesia is when you are distracted and you wind up forgetting your purpose. And this can happen in our Christian lives. When we fail to keep our eyes on the main thing, we can let other things distract us. And yet Paul refused to do this. So in verse 13, Paul says, Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. Paul set himself to do one thing. Now, As you read this, and if you're paying attention, it might actually sound like he's talking about two things. Right? Are you looking at your Bibles? Are you looking at the verse? One thing I do, and then he lists two things. So what's that all about? So I forget, and then I strain forward. Well, it's really one and the same. In order to strain forward, he has to forget what is behind. That's what he means by this one thing I do. Paul would not allow himself to be distracted by the past. His sole focus was on the present, moving forward toward being like Christ and being with Christ. Now, when it comes to forgetting the past, uh, I think what I think is a helpful uh, illustration for those of you who golf or are familiar with golf, uh, you know, they say that a good golfer needs to have short-term memory loss. And the reason is because even the best of golfers are going to hit a shot and it's going to be a horrible shot. And if you keep thinking on that shot, the rest of your game is sh- it's shot. Yeah, I walked right into that. I didn't intend for that. But. And the point is that a good golfer has to have short-term memory loss. They have to forget that last Um, shot that that was bad so that they can focus intensely on the next one. We must be focused. This world is full of distraction. Our pasts may be full of distraction. What comfort is there in the scriptures and from this passage about moving forward? Can we move forward? Or are we so anchored by our pasts, that we make no progress. One pastor said that you ought to forget your past sins, sorrows, and successes. Take your sins to the cross and hand your successes to the grace of God. Psalm 103 says, As high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, So far does he remove our transgressions from us. Dwell on that. As you look to strive toward this prize, if your past is something that is holding you back and dragging you down, look to the scriptures at what God has done with your sins. In Christ, they are as far from the east as the west is. So we're to forget the past, but we must also strain toward the future. So one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining to what lies ahead. Paul was straining. He viewed his life as if it was a race. He realized that there is no time to waste. He's energetic about his pursuit. He's relentless, and he would put off everything in order to reach the end successfully and win the prize. He was striving. One commentator has said that the believer must devote him or herself to running the Christian race. Winners are those who concentrate, who keep their eyes on the goal, and let nothing distract them. Concentration is the secret power. So I want to ask you, what distracts you from pressing forward, from striving toward this prize in this Christian life as if it were a race? What's pulling you away couple things that you could be doing is set up habits of community. Are you spending re- regular time with other believers who are also on this journey and striving? That can help us curb the distractions. Uh, on a real practical level, sometimes what I like to do is take uh, a break from tech. You ever just turn your phone off for a day? No. Who does that? You ever set it, on, uh, set it in a drawer? For an hour, try it. Something as simple as that can help us refocus on what it means to run this race, uh, just by identifying the things that are distractions and being purposeful about setting them aside so that we can strain forward. So in order to advance on the path, we must focus on one thing. And then fourth, in order to delight on the path to the prize, we must press on with passion. Let me remind us that the prize is Christ. Jesus himself is the prize. Verse 14, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Jesus is the prize, and full conformity to his likeness is what God is calling us to. That's the path we're on. How well are we walking it? Paul pressed on because he was passionate about that reward. We read in 1 Corinthians 1.9 that God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son. This is our calling. God has called us into intimate fellowship with the Lord Jesus. We can experience that now and we ought to and it ought to be sweet. But this is a dim, dim version of what it will be when we see him face to face. That is the being with Jesus forever. And that is how Paul viewed the prize that he was pursuing. And we can view marriage as a picture of this. And I just want to say that human marriage is actually an afterthought of this union of, of Jesus and the bride of Christ coming together. We will spend eternity with Jesus forever. Marriage, earthly marriage, human marriage, is a picture of that. That is primary. Human marriage is a picture of that. Sometimes we think, oh, we just made up marriage. No. The union of the church and Jesus himself Full conformity, the church unstained from any blemish. Unhindered fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ forever. God and man in perfect fellowship forever. That is what we have to look forward to. That is what we are striving toward. And marriage is simply a picture of that. It ought to remind us of that. So the marriage supper of the Lamb that we read about in Revelation is going to be full of feasting and singing and celebrating. And that is what we ought to look forward to, is that union between the church, sinless, purified, bride of Christ, in perfect union and intimate fellowship with Jesus forever. That is the prize. That is the path that we are on and pursuing. So in order to delight on the path to the prize, we must press on with passion. So as we close, and as we go through the demands of daily life, let's not forget that we are on a path toward a glorious prize. And those who have understanding of of this path and this prize we ought to pursue being like Christ fully and being with Christ forever. And there's two two verses that remind us of what we have to look forward to and where we find ourselves now. Hebrews 13:14, for here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. And Philippians 3:20, for our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. This world is not our home. We have a glorious home awaiting for us. We're on a path. I want to encourage us to uh, pursue that path and pursue that prize as we look forward to being with Jesus forever. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you have provided for us the righteousness that we so desperately need Lord, the reality is that on our own we cannot please you and we have no hope of restoring our relationship with you. But through Jesus and his perfect life and his death on the cross and through simple faith in him, we can come to know you and have this joy. God, give us eyes to see. Help us to see more deeply into the reality of this promise. Help us to understand that the Lord Jesus is more precious and more valuable than any earthly thing. And we ask that you would help us to run this race, to persevere, and help us reach the prize. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this morning, we are going to celebrate communion and reflect on some of these things. And I want to just read from First. Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23, where again the Apostle Paul, who is so instructive for us, says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And just like baptism is a picture or a reminder of some of the unseen spiritual realities. So communion reminds us of who Jesus is, what he's done for us, and that he is returning. So let's celebrate that. Feel free to spend whatever time you need uh, to reflect on that. And when you're ready, we have four tables that you can just go uh, grab the bread and the cup and come back to your seat and take it whenever you're ready to. So let's go ahead and enjoy communion now.